Lord, we are so grateful, so, so grateful that your faithfulness is so good. Thank you for your faithfulness to me. Thank you for your faithfulness to each one here. Thank you for your faithfulness to this congregation for 92 years. All the stories, all the ways you've been faithful to us together and to us as individuals. To many who've come and gone and gone on from here, to many things, you've been faithful to them. For your faithfulness to your people for thousands of years. Your faithfulness to your church for 2,000 years. Thank you for being faithful to us in every season, through history, through time, and into eternity. Thank you for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. Help us to see you. Help us to trust you. To trust that you will once again be faithful now. To me, to us. Lord, we ask you to faithfully bring your word to us now. Speak to our hearts just what we need to hear. Today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. So the kids, uh, the youth can go back that way, and the preschoolers can go that way, the elementary kids can go to Big House that way, and uh, the rest of you are stuck with me. So isn't that great? Um, so we are uh, in a series we've been in for a little while in the book of Acts. What is Jesus doing? That is our question. What is Jesus doing? Um, and a lot of times we have that question, what is going on? So do you ever wonder, is there hope? What is happening? Do you ever wonder personally or for our congregation, for churches, for our world, is there hope when you read the news, when you see what's going on? Do you ever wonder that? Do you ever wonder, why am I suffering? Um... And I know some of you have, have had different kinds of suffering. I know some of your stories, some of your challenges. Um, we used to sing a song at Nairobi Chapel when, we were, when I was there, a Nigerian song called Double Double. And I decided 2022 is my year of double double. So I had my prostate removed, and that took two surgeries. So I uh, just had my hernia surgery, which is follow-up to the prostate removal surgery. So... Then I went to my dermatologist, and he, he said, uh, well, you have another cancer. So that's two cancers, so that I had a biopsy here and a biopsy here. So I've got two cancers. I've got two surgeries coming up for those cancers. Um, and uh, I also had two bike accidents the week before. I, I, so this is my year of double-double. But the good thing is, you all have been praying for me, and I'm standing up here. Um, a week and a half or so after my surgery and, and doing well, I think. We'll see the surgeon tomorrow and see what he thinks. But, uh, so thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your, your uh, faithfulness in prayer, for healing, for, and keep each other in prayer. Pastor Mike is out of the hospital. He was back in for chemo. This is his double. He thought his cancer was gone and it's back, so keep praying for him. Um, and, of course, this is... You know, he said some double. He was faithful to Jesus, faithful to reach down to young adults, and he got kidnapped and beat up and just about killed for that. 
managed to flee here, and uh, we managed to not give him asylum. It's still on appeal after eight years, um, and separated from his family. And anyway, you guys know Pastor Mike, and you know a lot of other people's challenges and, and difficulties. And, but it's worse when it's not just like sickness or something that happens, but actually when somebody does something to you, right? And worse when it's your own people. When it's not like an enemy out there, but it's somebody, your own people, turn on you and, and cause challenges to you. So um, <laughs> then we started saying, why am I suffering? What's going on? What about? Um, so, and then where is Jesus? You ever ask that when you're having a hard time? I do. Where, where is Jesus? Um, so. We, I just, this is kind of my theme today. Our story is his story. And uh, we've been looking at the book of Acts. We've been looking at uh, Paul's missionary journey. And we'll get a little more up close here. So uh, I thought it was maybe a Jesus thing, a, a Godsidence that Rick, not knowing where we were preaching, happened to pick Acts 16, where we just preached two times, and happened to reinforce the very message that we were talking about. And uh, he talked about some barriers we have to witness. One of them was, it's not my calling. That's not my thing. I'm not really gifted to be a witness. But Acts does say, we're all called to be witnesses. Right? You all will be my witnesses. And it says they'll be in Jerusalem and Judea. And this is how he spells it out. In Acts, it happens that they, they go farther and farther from Jerusalem. And Rick was showing us how uh, it went to Philippi and God guided them from Troas to Philippi. He talked about God's guidance and discernment and what happened in Philippi. And uh, we looked at the, and then we're going to go on to say, to see today in Acts 17, that we went on to Thessalonica. So they got beat up, um, stripped naked, uh, beat terribly and thrown in prison in Philippi. And then they got out of there, they went to Thessalonica, we'll see what happens to Thessalonica, and then they went on to Berea. Um, so, uh, this is in Greece, by the way, my, my in-laws are actually flying to Greece today. Uh, it's a real place where this stuff happened. In fact, they're going to go see these places. Uh, this is history, folks. Um, so Luke shows three, Jesus saving three different people in Philippi, and who saves Jesus is acting already. That's what Paul said. He, he said, this person says, come over to Macedonia and help us. Jesus is already there calling Paul to come over and help us. So it helps us to know when we're going to witness, Jesus is already going ahead of us, working in people's lives. We're just following him where he already is. So our part is what? Rick said, discern. So listen, what, what does Jesus want to do? What, what might he be doing in somebody's life? Look, what is Jesus doing? And then take a risk. Obey. He gave us some examples of that. And I'll tell you could have some examples. And I'm hoping, come and tell me some stories about ways that you're witnessing. Maybe just uh, you, you got to talk to somebody new who you hadn't talked to before. Or maybe you got to have a spiritual conversation with somebody that you hadn't had before. Um, tell me some stories. Maybe we'll even tell each other some stories here about witness. And what happens when we just listen, see what Jesus is doing, and then we take a risk and we obey. Well, then Jesus acts. So they went to Philippi. They went to where the, there wasn't even a synagogue there where some people were praying. And God opened Lydia's heart and she got saved. And the same thing happened with the demon-possessed woman and with the jailer. Jesus acts. Our job is just to 
Ask, what's Jesus doing? Discern, look, listen, and then take a risk and do something. See if we can participate in what Jesus is already doing, and then see where he takes it from there. So Acts 17 is where we're headed now. Paul and Silas then traveled from Philippi through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. This is the major town of, of Macedonia. So it's big and it's got a synagogue. Uh, it's the Jews there, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service. So Paul usually does this. He's a rabbi. <clears throat> this is his people. He shows up. And because he's a rabbi and a teacher and trained under Gamaliel, they, they usually say, well, why don't you share something with us? And so for three sun Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures. He used the scriptures to reason with people, to discuss with people, to, to talk to people about what the scriptures said. He explained the prophecies and proved from the scripture that the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, must suffer and rise from the dead. In fact, Jesus did the same thing. Do you remember that? On the road to Emmaus. So he said, this Jesus I am telling you about is the Messiah. This Jesus, the one who was just living a few years ago. This, this is about 50 AD or so. So not even 20 years ago um, that Jesus began his ministry. And he was living and he lived and he died. This is Jesus. He is the Messiah who you've been hoping for. And the scriptures prove it. So we've used a couple of analogies. We talked about, I don't know exactly where to put this, but we, we talked about Jesus being the cornerstone. And we also talked about scripture being the plumb line that tells us what's true. So that we need to guide our lives and line things up and see how it lines up with scripture. Well, it turns out that scripture points to Jesus. And if you know what a plumb line is for, this plumb line is so that the wall goes straight up on Jesus. So when we keep aligned, founded on the cornerstone of Jesus, and keep aligned with Scripture, we build a wall that's not going to fall down. A wall that for 2,000 years has been built on that cornerstone of Jesus. And all of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is about <clears throat> Jesus. And Paul comes to his people and he says, our story is his story. Our story of all that happened with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the way back is his story. It's about Jesus. What's the good news? The good news is Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King. <clears throat> the one we've been waiting for. Jesus lived rose and died in history. I want you to get that, that history has hope because it's his story. You may not see all in what's going on. What, what is Jesus doing? We can't always tell, but he is the purpose of history, the end of history. But it, it's real history. So sometimes... You know, some religions are more a philosophy and a way of thinking about the world and, and, and a way of explaining things. Jewish and Christian is 
history. Yes, there's philosophy or whatever behind it, but this is what really happened. Okay? I think we can forget that and kind of have, well, the Christ of faith and the, uh, we, have, we, we want to have spiritual experiences and just kind of, this is stuff that really happens. And it changes real life. Just as an example, we talked about last time, Luke is saying, we went from Troas to Philippi. And now he stops saying we because he stayed in Philippi, apparently, which is why we learn a lot about Philippi and a lot less about Thessalonica because he wasn't along. He stayed back with, in Philippi, apparently. And he, just another little example. He drops in this, this Greek word, um, which we'll see later, that uh, talks about the, the city rulers. Politarch, I think it is. And that word is nowhere else in Greek literature. Nobody ever had heard of it. And then in 1835, they were digging around, and they found this arch just outside of Thessalonica, and it talked about the Politarchs, the city rulers. And now they found a few other places, a few other inscriptions. But people talk about, oh, that's probably just made up. It's probably not really history. It's just, you know, some fanciful, you know, an earthquake happening just like that. That's not real history. No, it's real history. Luke was there. Luke was also collecting sources. He was also talking to eyewitnesses. He was also reading things. He was writing history. You following me? So it's not just a theory, a philosophy, a way of thinking about things. Jesus is historical. He really happened. And the church and what happened after that really happened. And Luke is writing history when he talks about Jesus, when he talks about the church. History that he participated in, eyewitnesses he talked to. I mean, we should be able to take this for granted, but you can't take it for granted anymore, right? People are like, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. It's like, okay, whatever. What do you mean by that? Jesus is a historical figure. Transformed what was happening there, all right? You can believe in the sun or not, but it's still there. And Jesus was, now that, that doesn't mean everybody trusts in Jesus. Anyway, just thought it was important to make that point because we can forget that history is what we're talking about. And it's his story. So, our story is his story, Jesus. All of our people's story points to Jesus, Paul says. Everything in our story, everything from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, the Psalms, all points to Jesus. All of the Bible points to Jesus. Now, we happen to have more of the Bible. The New Testament has all Jesus stories as well. And the church stories that point to Jesus. And here's the other piece. Suffering is part of Jesus' story. And it's also part of our story. And this is the part that I don't like as much. And it's the part the Jews didn't like as much. They wanted a Messiah who was going to come in, conquer, take care of all their problems, be done with it. And he will. So what's the response? Response, like usual, is divided. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. So the God-fearers, again, are people who were attending the synagogue, who were, who were following the story of Israel, but they hadn't been circumcised, they hadn't committed to following the law, they were still Gentiles. But 
they were like, yes, this is, Jesus is a story not only for Jews, but for us too. And most of us here are Gentiles, the nations. And I'm glad, because I'm one of those goyim that Jesus is for me too. He's my Messiah too. And then some had a different response, which is usually what happens. But when some Jews in Thessalonica, oh, sorry. Uh, I think I got that wrong. But some of the Jews were jealous. So here's the difficulty with truth. Is there's emotions we have about what we want to be true. And the emotions get in the way of the evidence. None of you have ever noticed that, right? That people have particular emotions about how they want things to be. Right? Like when we get sick. Oh, I, I don't really have cancer, right? It's just, uh, it's just, you know, it's not really a thing, right? It's not really a, it's the virus is just a made-up thing, right? Or, or, or there's, that didn't really happen. That's not the way it really is. It's more convenient if I think about it this way. And these guys are jealous. They're envious because they're getting a lot of traction. And they want to be in the spotlight. They don't like Paul getting more than him. So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a rob and mob and start a riot. So that's one thing you can do if you don't like history. Just start a riot. Just make it different. Um, they attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them over to the city council. Before the city council, that's that word there. Paul and Silas has caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they are here disturbing our city too. And Jason, Jason has welcomed them into his home. They're all guilty of treason against Caesar, for the, Caesar, the king of Rome, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. So they know that the Thessalonica, the, in Thessalonia, they're proud of being Romans. They're proud that they get to mint their own coins, that they don't have to have troops in their city, that they are very privileged. And way back, uh, 27 BC or so, they took Zeus off of their coins and they put Caesar on their coins to make Caesar happy with them. And so worshiping Caesar is an important thing for them. So don't mess with our allegiance to Caesar. They knew that religious difficulties between Jews and other sects of Judaism wasn't going to impress the city officials. But if you touch the government, our allegiance to, the, to Caesar, that's a problem. Now, this is kind of a, a tricky accusation, isn't it? Because on the one hand, it's not true. They're good citizens. They pay their taxes. They're, they're not treasonous. On the other hand, Caesar is not their god. Caesar is not their king. Their ultimate allegiance is not to the king, to the president, to the government. And we're kind of in the same situation, aren't we? People really want us to be doubled down, buy-in completely to whatever it is. Maybe it's a political loyalty. Maybe it's a loyalty to, you know, maybe it's a loyalty to Washington, or maybe it's Washington on that dollar bill that you're supposed to be loyal to and give your life to. People have no problem requiring you 
to give your life to make money. Or requiring you to volunteer or, or maybe get drafted to go give your life for the government to fight a war someplace. But if you say, I'm not going to do that because I'm loyal to Jesus, now you're in trouble. Right? Well, Jesus is fine, but this is more important. People are fine with you having Jesus as something in some corner to take care of part of your life. You know, going to heaven, that kind of stuff. Forgiving your sins or whatever. But don't get in the way of the important stuff. Jesus is only meant for a little part of your life. There's other gods for other parts of your life. Other loyalties you need to have. But if you put Jesus above all your other loyalties... First of all, that's fantastic. You get to find out what Jesus does. You know, I find out what Jesus is doing. And he lines up all those other loyalties under that. I can pay my taxes because I get to pay Social Security and help out widows and orphans and other stuff. I can do that as part of my loyalty to Jesus. But, if you follow me, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, when push comes to shove, you, you, you find out where that loyalty is. And, when you, and this is where you start finding out that if you... For example, if you witness, if you start telling people about Jesus, people are like, you know, be quiet. Right? You know, if you're a Vikings player and you start talking about Jesus when they have you on national TV, they're like, okay, shut up already. Supposed to be talking about the Vikings. This is football. Where are your loyalties? Right? So, um, anyway. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. Uh, it's not going on. Oh. What's that? So who rules? That's the question, right? Who's king? Who is king? Is Jesus your king of everything? That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. So they got out of Philippi, now they're getting out of Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue again. Don't they ever, like, hide out? And, like, you know, go incognito undercover for a little while they seem to think this good news is such good news that they need to tell people about jesus how good a news is the good news to you how good a news is jesus for you and for the people that you know how much do you really love him and, and believe that jesus loves you and they need to know anyway when they arrived there they went to the jewish synagogue and the people of bria were more open-minded and he says they were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day. So Paul's saying this is, in, this is what scriptures say. So they're like, well, really? Let me see. And they're reading that and figuring this out. Day every day. They're in the scriptures saying, is this really what Paul is saying? Is this really the truth? Is this really our story? Jesus is our story? As a result, many Jews believed. 
as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. One thing you notice about Luke, he always throws in the women and the men. He's always talking about Lydia and the demon-possessed girls as well as the jailer, right? He always talks about the women and the men, like that about Luke. Um, anyway, they are different from the ones in Thessalonica. They don't let their envy and their jealousy get in the way. They're more open-minded. Now, in our society, people tend to think Christians are not open-minded. Is that true? Why is that? Why are they so closed-minded about Jesus? <laughs> We're examining the evidence. We're checking it out, and what we see is that the evidence points to Jesus. And I want you also to notice what evidence they're taking. They're saying, what does Scripture say? So here's a couple things. Be truly open-minded. And in other words, after truth. Not distracted by emotions or the way you wish the truth was. Go after truth. Be open-minded. Be eager to learn. Not like I already know. Be eager to learn something new. Or something old. Be eager to learn. Examine the evidence. And make sure it's good evidence. What's the best evidence? Well, the best evidence is the Bible. And I can give you good evidence for why the evidence in the Bible is good evidence. One of it is that it's historical. One of it is that's transformational. We could go on. But you people know that this is the best evidence. And if the Bible says something and somebody else says, well, that's not very open-minded, say, well, let's go look at the scriptures and see. Don't bring your presupposition to scripture about how it's got to be. Be open-minded about Maybe you didn't learn something in Scripture, something you knew you can learn. Or, are you following me? Because most of us actually have things that we want Scripture to say. Things we want Scripture to allow us to do or not do. We're not really open-minded about what does Scripture really say? What's the truth? What do I do? Keep coming back to Scripture every day. And asking, what does it say? What should I do? Where is Jesus? What is Jesus doing? Are you following me? This does not mean you aren't open-minded. I was very proud. My kids, uh, each when they graduated from high school, got the Berean bursary, which was about being pursuing knowledge, but also going after Scripture. And when they went to colleges like McAllister and Northwestern or whatever, they kept going back to Scripture and says, what does Scripture say? This is something I have not figured out yet. What does Scripture say about that issue? What does Scripture say about this? What does Scripture say I should do? What does Scripture say about how I love people? What's true? You following me? Keep learning. And when somebody challenges you, say, okay, what's the evidence? And if they tell you the Bible's not true, say, okay, what's the evidence? Show me how it's not true. Don't just say, in your opinion, you don't like it to be true. Do you know history better than Luke? Tell me how. You following me? Okay. Um, but when Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul onto the coast, while Silas and Timothy remained behind. 
Those escorting Paul went with him all the way to Athens, and then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. So do you get what happens in the response in Acts over and over? Some people are all in, and some people are against. So one of the reasons uh, that... that um, Rick said there were three reasons that people tended to not want to witness. One is it's not my calling. We're all witnesses. Another is it might cause some opposition or some discontent. Or what? Yep. Anytime the truth challenges what I want to do, I'm going to be a little against it. So, number three was... Number three was about, sometimes it's uh, politically uncomfortable these days. Yeah, it was politically uncomfortable then too. It was against Caesar. And, and sometimes it's politically uncomfortable because we bought in with Caesar and people see that. Sometimes it's politically uncomfortable because people want us to buy in with Caesar. <laughs> Whatever, whichever Caesar they happen to be following. But um, that doesn't matter. It's still true. Our story is his story. It's Jesus' story. Our people's story points to Jesus. All of the Bible points to Jesus. And suffering is part of that story. So, Paul had three basic foundations for his good news. One was Scripture. The story of Israel. The story that God had been writing. The second was Jesus' story, which is now part of Scripture for us. And Jesus was born, he died, he rose again, and he's coming again. That's what, he wrote, that's what Luke summarized there, right? The third part was his Damascus Road experience, the revelation of what he found. Ah, he was totally wrong about what he thought. Jesus was alive. Jesus was the Messiah, not, the, not a false Messiah. So his experience... And the church's experience is part of our evidence for the good news, how we come up with our good news. So, I want to take a little bit of time in 1 Thessalonians. Now, I want you to go home and read 1 and 2 Thessalonians. These are written right after this. Read Acts 17, then read 1 and 2 Thessalonians. But I'm just going to take a couple clips out. So, they get to Athens, and then Paul is so concerned. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are so concerned about the church back in Thessalonica that they had to run away from it after a few months that they send Timothy back to catch thing, check, check things out. Timothy comes back with a report. Paul writes them back. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. Hey, can you hear that? God loves you and has chosen you online to be his own people. Isn't that great news? That is good news. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with the power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. So the Holy Spirit helps us to get over our resistance to accept what's true. The Word and the Holy Spirit do that together so we can actually listen and obey. And you know our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of of the severe suffering it brought you. Paul and Silas got out of there, but the suffering didn't stop. 
In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. So his story is our story. This is the part I don't like as much. His story of suffering is also part of my story of suffering. Paul, Silas, Timothy's story of suffering is also part of my story of suffering. The suffering of the Thessalonica is part of our story, my story. And if I'm going to really follow Jesus, it's going to cost me something. Now that is not popular. Right? The truth is that God blesses us and gives us all kinds of stuff, and he does double-double. But sometimes in the double trials, he's also doubly with us. So we imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. Listen, folks, when you follow Jesus in the suffering, you become an example. You become a witness. A lot more than when it's going nice for you and you're, being a Christian is easy. Right? If it costs you something, it must be worth something. People will watch you. They'll see if Jesus really helps you, is with you in your suffering. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia and Greece. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us. Remember the hosting we talked about before? And how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. None of those other gods, none of those other idols. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you is not a failure. This is chapter 2. You know how badly we've been treated at Philippi just before we came to you. And how much we suffered there. That was where we were just looking, right? Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. We need to pray for God to give us boldness in spite of opposition and the double-double. So they had suffering in Philippi. They went, okay, let's double up and go to Thessalonica, <laughs> even though it was more trouble, right? So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He and alone examines the motives of our hearts. Okay, I'll be honest. A lot of times I want to please people. My ultimate, true, deep, Number one motive isn't always to please God. But if my number one motive is to please God, it's a lot easier to persevere through opposition from people. But if you're scared of people and you want trying to please people, it's going to be hard to tell them good news. Right? Even if it's good for them. 1 Thessalonians 3, finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens and we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and, God, and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Ooh. 
Folks, it's easy for us to be shaken by the troubles we're going through. I don't know what troubles you're going through, but whatever troubles you're going through, whatever troubles we're going through, it's easy to be shaken. One piece of good news is we were destined for such troubles. Does that sound like good news to you? Nah, not really. Unless you're in the troubles. And then you're like, oh, you know what? Jesus actually didn't promise me roses with no thorns. Jesus, in fact, promised me to pick up my cross and follow him. I get to imitate Jesus in my troubles, in my suffering. And that's the good thing. Your troubles have a purpose and a, a reason. And you're part of his story in the middle of your troubles. Isn't that good news? And he's with you in the middle of your troubles. Your story is his story. When you're walking through trouble. Yes, we're destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come. And they did, as you well know. That's why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. But it wasn't. And Paul goes on elsewhere and talks about how they had followed him faithfully. Our story is his story. Jesus is your story, our story. Or it can be. Maybe your story, you haven't lined it up with Jesus yet. Welcome to some good news. Your story can have meaning and purpose and be part of what Jesus has been doing, is doing, what's been doing for thousands of years. You can line your story up with our story, which is his story. You can have meaning in your troubles, in your good times, in your life. Even if it includes a crucifixion, it also includes a resurrection. All of our people's story points to Jesus. All the Bible points to Jesus. Suffering is part of the story. And where did Paul learn that? Where did Peter learn that? Well, it turns out they learned it from Jesus. Would the worship team come on up? We're going to do communion. And I thought I'd use a different passage this time than we usually use. You'll recall that there were some disciples right after the crucifixion right after Jesus' resurrection, and they were going, and they were hopeless. They had no hope because suffering had come. Jesus had been humiliated. Oh, if you don't have a, a communion cup, would you raise your hand? The ushers will help you out with that. Uh, Paul, anybody else? Raise your hand if you need one. Um, okay. So as they're walking along, they're saying, we had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, that this was really it. But now he died. He's crucified. Suffering came. And Jesus says this to them. <clears throat> they haven't recognized that it's Jesus yet. The resurrected Jesus. He says, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all of these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
By this time, they were nearing Emmaus. At the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So we went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread. If you would open up that, uh, I don't think Jesus had plastic and cellophane, but you know. Um, he took the bread, that's what's on top there. He took the bread and he blessed it. Lord, thank you for the fruit, <laughs> the grain. Thank you for the bread from heaven that you have given us. Thank you for giving us your body. Thank you for giving us your body that makes this body. This body here, this body all around the world. He blessed it, then he broke it. He broke it as he was broken. And he gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And in that moment he disappeared. Where is Jesus? What is Jesus doing? Jesus is with us now. We declare hallelujah. We hallelujah. Hallelujah. sometimes it's like okay I'm not sad but I just want to share that it's an opportunity to say hallelujah I hadn't shared about my my experience with my surgery and I had a, a cornea surgery and a cataract surgery in my left eye and I remember sharing with Pastor Andrew how before I had the surgery, in fact, I shared it with the body. How I wept so hard the Sunday before I had the surgery on that Wednesday. And it reminded me when I, of Jesus rather, when he went into the garden of Gethsemane. I believe that's right. And uh, how he wept so hard like blood out of him because he was about to do something that he had never done. Do we know what that was? Die. He was about to die for us. And when I had, prior to going to that surgery, I had never had any form of sickness where it felt like a part of me was going to die. But God prepared me so well for it that when I went into that surgery, I had no fear. I had no doubt. I went in, it happens quickly, it was done. And I'm still dealing with it, but at the same time, all the messages that I've been hearing lately is about something that we're going through, some of us, as for death, dying. But God is constantly in control. He is constantly giving us wisdom and knowledge and the know-how to go through without fear there's absolutely nothing that we have to be afraid of but the trusting in the Lord God with all our heart soul and spirit and mind and he will get us through it that one scripture that I hold fast to it it says 
faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And to fear, fear is torment. Be mindful of the fact that fear is torment. And the enemy will try to use that against us. So we got to be very careful. And as Pastor Steve is admitting, truth will set us free. You can be ashamed in your circumstance and you will call your, find yourself being bound. Truth will set us free. And as we tell the truth about circumstance, I'm not saying that everything everybody needs to know, but there's something that will help somebody else get through as we allow our truth to, be, come, to come through. So just remember that when I, when I raise my hand to say hallelujah, it may be the last time, but I'm gonna do it while I got a chance. And that's what we should do. We should do it while we got a chance. Because tomorrow ain't promised to none of us. Give God this hallelujah while you still have breath in you. While you still have breath.